Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. Radio LLB, the Living Lives blog and podcast. Everyone thinks they know Taylor Rescission, but the evidence is that they don't know how to use it. Hello, this is Neil Garfield, and this is Thursday, August 1st, 2019. Those of you who are listening or who will listen to this program probably already know the who, where, why, and how Teela Rescission is made real. Tonight, we talk about what Teela Rescission really does and how to use it. We'll talk about the role of the forensic auditor as a reporter of facts and the positive ways you can use a notice of rescission or cancellation in court. (coughs) Excuse me. And just as an introduction, let me say this. There are many potential claims arising out of attempted foreclosure after TILA rescission is effective. But one of them is not a violation of your right to rescind. By pleading that they have breached your right to rescind, you are putting into play the burden of proving the effectiveness of the rescission which has already occurred by operation of law pursuant to the Teela Rescission Statute. You're headed to failure that way. By pleading or arguing that kind of notion, you are inviting interpretation from a court that is only too happy to reject your claim. In most cases, your right to enforce the duties of a lender or creditor even if you knew who they were, which undoubtedly you don't, under the Teal and Rescission Statute, 15 U.S.C. Section 1635, your right to enforce those duties have probably long since expired under the Truth in Lending Act. So you have no claim about any violation of your rescission rights anyway. You'd be making a claim that does not exist. But that doesn't change the title chain, which was permanently altered when you sent the notice of rescission or cancellation. You have title. That is all you need to know, and that is the basis for any other claims or defenses or uh, uh, argument. Nearly all successful foreclosure defenses 
are based upon the defense narrative that the party bringing the foreclosure action has no right to bring it. In the case where rescission has been affected, there is no claim for foreclosure anymore. Foreclosure doesn't exist as an option for anyone. The debt remains, but there's a new way to collect it under the TILA rescission statute, and it's not by foreclosure. You are no longer arguing the wrong party, which you were before, and you might yet again, because of people who will claim to have the right to contest your rescission notice, you're no longer arguing the wrong party. You're arguing that whoever is seeking to collect is bringing the wrong claim, that they don't have a right of foreclosure because the right of foreclosure was contained in a mortgage deed or a deed of trust that no longer legally exists by virtue of the Taylor rescission statute. You do have claims for violations of other statutes that protect consumers against fraudulent or wrongful claims and provide damages on the basis for declaratory, injunctive, and supplemental relief. So you probably do have a claim under the FDCPA in addition to other statutes. And you have claims under common law. Do not claim that there is no debt, even if it appears to be barred, if enforcement of the debt appears to be barred under a statute of limitations in TILA or elsewhere. But do claim that the mortgage or deed of trust no longer exists and that you own the property free and clear of any encumbrance by anyone as it relates to the now void and defunct loan agreement that was replaced with a statutory scheme for collection of the debt, C-15 U.S.C. 1635. Remember, this program is being recorded. You can always come back to this recording or any of our other shows by going to blogtalkradio.com and searching for the Neil Garfield Show. And remember, despite what you might hear from those who are not regulated licensed professionals, only a court order can stop a foreclosure or foreclosure sale. That doesn't mean it isn't void, but it still happens unless there's a court order. And that order, contrary to what I've seen on the Internet, must say that the foreclosure is dismissed, vacated, or stayed, and not just contain some general rulings about the pendency of the current action. I've seen a number of people make a mistake based on that. Even if the judgment of foreclosure or the foreclosure sale or the eviction is absolutely 100% void, the only way to reverse it is by attacking it as void and getting a judge to agree. That's our system. It's not enough to be right. You need an order from a judge saying you are right. And that judge has to have jurisdiction over your claim or your defense. And the fact is that most judges are re very reluctant to grant such an order, and they will almost always look for ways to avoid doing so. Therefore, presentation is extremely important. 
You have to box the judge in and gradually educate the, the judge to the point where you drop the hammer. Most people drop the hammer first and then start arguing the little points afterwards. The judge is not listening then. So the presentation is the most important thing, and as much as it needs to be clear, simple, straightforward, logical, credible, and persuasive. In my opinion, this can only be done by close collaboration between the lawyer or the homeowner on the one hand and the forensic auditor on the other hand. More about that tomorrow for those of you participating in the uh, free forensic order seminar tomorrow. That kind of collaboration will improve the work product of both the lawyer and the forensic auditor, enable them to get more business because they will have more success, their, their, their clients will have more success in court, and they will be able to increase their fees. It's a win-win-win situation for everybody but the banks. And they already won, so it's a win for them too. No report, no matter how fine, will prevent a foreclosure without being presented in proper fashion with a foundation witness who then convinces the court that what is in the report is both true and persuasive that the homeowner should win. I can't tell you how many cases I've seen where in the transcript they try to just get the report into evidence and sometimes the judge will allow it. He just doesn't give it any weight because nothing happened. There was nobody there persuading him about what was contained in that report. You only have somebody arguing that something was in the report and why the judge should take notice, but he doesn't. The trier of fact can decide which facts are relevant. So you have to persuade. However, those people who are doing forensic analysis and reporting do provide a valuable service. If they give you facts and if they report discrepancies and inconsistencies that you can use in attacking the case against you. Remember, the issue is not how can I prove that. It's about how can I shoot enough holes in the case against me that the judge can't stand it anymore. It's a cumulative process. If you continue <clears throat> to seek relief under the magic bullet mythology, you will always lose because the courts don't want to give you relief. But as I have shown in cases where I've won directly as the attorney and in hundreds of cases where I've been the consultant, it can be done, even with a judge that normally rubber stamps foreclosures. And that's why I'm doing a free seminar tomorrow, which is already filled, although there are a few extra spots. I posted it on the blog, uh, uh, how some people can fill it. Uh, otherwise, don't bother to sign up. It's, it's, it's filled. I want forensic people to sharpen up their reports so I can better use them in my role as a legal consultant to homeowners and lawyers and even law enforcement and spend less time doing my own report before proceeding with the real work that I was hired to do 
which is create the strategy, draft the pleadings, create the tactics, and help the lawyer or the homeowner implement the tactics. We all have our roles. Comments and suggestions are always solicited. Write to Neil F. Garfield at hotmail.com. I'm broadcasting live from Duval County, Florida, and this show is brought to you by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, Lending Lies, Amgar, and the Garfield Firm. And this show is specially brought to you because of donations to the Living Lies blog from listeners like you. Thank you. Thanks to the uptick in donations, we're able to restart our schedule of free, and we're scheduling paid seminars, and we'll do more as the donations roll in. I'm trying to do my best here for the last 13 years in article seminars and appearances on radio and television to get the point across that homeowners can do and should win most of the foreclosure cases brought against them. Neither the blog nor the radio shows are supported by anything other than donations. I'm not selling anything here. And the seminars can't occur unless we have substantial increases in donations to offset the costs of creating and presenting a seminar such that the cost can be brought within an affordable range for both homeowners and lawyers. The IT staff alone sometimes can cost a lot of money. So hit the donate button on the home page of the livinglives.me blog or call 954-451-1230 and pledge whatever you think you can afford. If this show has value for you, if our work on the blog and our radio shows, etc., have value for you, then please chip in. Make a contribution to help us continue helping you and all consumers. It's not just me who's in on this mission, it's you. Let's start at the beginning because I think most homeowners do not actually understand the true nature of TILA rescission. They know facts about it, but they don't understand it. TILA is the Truth in Lending Act. The TILA rescission statute is 15 U.S.C. Section uh, 1635. It says that within three days of the loan closing, you can cancel the deal for any reason whatsoever. It also says that you have the right to cancel the deal for three years after the loan closing if you feel that the disclosures were not made properly. And it has one more very important provision that was unanimously recognized as the law of the land by the United States Supreme Court in Jesenowski versus Countrywide. That provision says that the loan agreement is canceled by operation of law when the notice of rescission is sent. There is no claim for rescission under the Teela rescission statute. It doesn't exist. There is an event that happens when you send the notice. It voids the mortgage, it voids the note, it voids the loan agreement. Cancellation of the loan agreement means cancellation of the note and mortgage. Canceling the note does not mean canceling the debt because the note is not the debt. It is evidence of the debt. 
The party who has paid money and owns your debt because they paid money is the owner of your debt and can collect on your debt with or without the note. So the TILA rescission statute replaces the loan agreement, replaces the note, replaces the mortgage with a statutory scheme for collection of the debt. It does not, as some have assumed, wipe out the indebtedness. But like all claims to collect on a debt, the party who now brings such a claim must be the owner of the debt in order to have legal standing to bring the claim for collection. And they can't win a judgment on that claim like any other claim if the statute of limitations has expired on bringing that claim. But that is generally only true if you raise the statute of limitations as an affirmative defense to their claim. Some states cancel debts after the statute of limitations has expired. But most states don't do that. So you have to raise it as an affirmative defense. So let's look at your status after a notice of rescission has been sent. The job of the forensic auditor in the context of TILA rescission is simply to determine whether a notice of rescission was ever sent, when it was sent, when the loan agreement was consummated, and whether the notice of rescission was recorded in the county records. Recording is not a requirement, but I consider it advisable as a notice of interest in real property so that it gives notice to the world that there is no more mortgage in the county records and in your chain of title. The report from a forensic auditor could quote 15 U.S.C. 1635 and then report on whether the notice of rescission complies with the uh, facial elements of the statute. If so, assuming the forensic reporter is not a title expert, the report could still refer to the Jesenowski decision and opinions delivered by outside counsel that the property is now owned by the homeowner, free and clear of the encumbrance. I do not believe the report should argue that the debt is uncollectible because enforcement is barred by the statute of limitations. A report could state that the statute of limitations in whatever state it is bars actions to collect a debt after so many years. That's, there's nothing wrong with that, but stating that the enforcement is barred by the statute of limitations is a legal conclusion that does not belong in the report of a forensic auditor. So in its simplest form, as approved by SCOTUS, the Supreme Court of the United States, if you sent a notice of rescission within three years after the loan closing, even without identifying the reasons you sent it, that ends the loan agreement by operation of law. It's over. It renders both the note and mortgage void, which means they are a nullity from that point forward, and from that point forward have no legal effect. They don't exist. The same instructions would apply to pleading by a homeowner or their attorney. The situation should be presented as the property is no longer encumbered by a mortgage or deed of trust that no longer legally exists. If the foreclosure is based if the action is a foreclosure, it's wrong. If the action is based on the enforcement of the mortgage or deed of trust, legal standing does not exist by definition. 
neither a court nor any claimant possesses any legal right or even argument to take any action in or out of court if that action is based upon the existence or enforcement of a document that legally does not exist anymore as an event under the Taylor rescission statute. In a lawsuit against the many parties who seek to enforce void encumbrances, the homeowner should seek declaratory, injunctive, and supplemental relief based on the simple fact pattern that the mortgage or deed of trust has no legal existence, but the defendants are using it anyway. Therefore, or the plaintiff, depending upon what kind of jurisdiction you're in, Therefore, the homeowner needs a judgment from the court declaring that the dependents have no right to enforce the deed of trust, the mortgage, or the note because it has no legal existence. And the court would issue an injunction against them, preventing them from taking any action in or out of court based on rights that no longer exist and granting the homeowner money damages if applicable. The prima facie case for the homeowner is simply that the notice of rescission was sent and that the statute makes rescission effective by operation of law and that the defendants are proceeding as though they still have a right to foreclose or or to collect the debt based on their possession or ownership of instruments that have been canceled, contrary to the method for collection that is described in the Teeler Rescission Statute 15 U.S.C. 1635. I think the problem might be that lawyers favor pleading a violation of statute and therefore tend to want to present Teeler Rescission as a claim. This is a huge mistake. It makes rescission look like a claim rather than an event. Read the Jesenowski decision. They make it very clear. It's an event. It's not a claim. There is no claim required, and there's no claim that exists to make rescission effective except under common law, which is a whole different thing. The court can deny a claim, but it cannot deny an event. Rescission is an event. The pursuit of foreclosure is not, in my opinion, a violation of the Teeler rescission statute. It is the pursuit of a claim that does not exist. The claim does not exist. The claim that does not exist is the right to foreclose. The claim that still exists is the right to collect on the debt, although enforcement could be barred by the statute of limitations, but they have to use the methods that are stated in the Teela rescission statute. The argument about preservation of contract in the marketplace is wrong. The statute explicitly, clearly, and unambiguously cancels the contract by operation of law. At that point, there is nothing to preserve except the rights of a party who paid money to own the debt. That right is preserved. That right arises under both common law and the Teeler rescission statute, which sets forth the procedure by which such a creditor can still collect the money that was borrowed. There is only one 
party category of legal persons that possess the right to collect on the debt under the Taylor rescission statute. It is a party who has paid value for the debt and therefore owns it. Theoretically, the party who brought the foreclosure could be an owner of the debt, but that's usually not the case, and I've never seen any of these cases in which anyone said, we own the debt, we paid for it, we're suffering an actual economic loss. There is no such assertion or allegation. Usually they're concealing any information about the identity of the owners of the debt, and as you know from my writing, that's because they have no idea who that is. They can only get away with what they're doing if a notice of rescission has not been sent. It is only the notice of rescission that removes and cancels the original loan agreement containing the right to foreclose. Therefore, any pleading motion or argument from a party whose legal standing was dependent upon the existence of the mortgage or deed of trust must be ignored unless they first establish they have legal standing because they paid value for the debt and they own the debt or because they are authorized representatives of an identified owner of the debt, a party who paid value for it. I keep saying the phrase paid value because they will come forward with all kinds of paperwork indicating that someone is the owner of the debt because they are named in a written instrument. But the only one who really owns the debt in the real world is someone who actually paid money for it. It is established law in all the U.S. jurisdictions that an attempted transfer of the mortgage rights without the debt is a nullity. That instrument is void. The transfer of a note without the debt is valid for purposes of enforcement only if the rights to enforce it derive from the owner of the debt. That is the whole point, the real world and real money. But those issues are irrelevant where a simple notice of of rescission or cancellation is sent by U.S. mail. The note and mortgage no longer exist. Only the statutory scheme allows for collection of the debt, and only the procedure set forth in the statute allows for a claim on the debt after the owner of the debt otherwise fills the condition precedent to making a claim for payment. The condition precedent is contained in the Teal Rescission Statute. While I have stated on these pages that any facially valid notice of rescission triggers the effects of 15 U.S.C. 1635, it is very evident that the courts, including the U.S. Supreme Court, will take the position that only notices set within the three-year period of expiration stated in the statute will have any chance of being effective. And that is the, the only occasion in which a notice of rescission can be ignored if it set, shows on its face that it was sent more than three years since the date of the closing of the loan transaction. As stated by many bank lawyers, ignoring notices of rescission, when the banks do that, that are, where the rescission is, set, is properly set within the three-year expiration period, will likely produce and I'm quoting from the bank lawyers here, likely produce a result where the party seeking to enforce the mortgage or deed of trust can neither enforce the encumbrance nor the debt 
because they let the time slip. Those bank lawyers who warned about negative effects on the derivative infrastructure that's built over such loans if the debt can no longer be enforced because it's barred by the statutes of limitation. The banks chose to bully their way through this. That's their fault and their problem, not the problem of borrowers who merely avail themselves of, of, of federal statutory rights. The reason they have not pled and that that they have a party who actually owns the debt who paid for it is because as we all have suspected for better part of 20 years that the debt was like an acorn they smashed it into pieces and the truth is once you put something under a hammer or in a blender you can't put it back together that's how you use it. Thank you, and I'll be back. With you. We'll be back with you next week, and I'll be back with you in two weeks. Thanks for listening to our broadcast. We hope that you tell your friends about us and let them know that there is hope and help in this financial crisis. Tune in every week to the Neil Garfield Show for free information and advice, and visit our blog daily at The Living Lies Blog. We provide support services, the latest strategies, analysis, expert consultations, testimony, and declarations to use in your battle against the largest economic crime in human history. For information concerning Neil, the team at Living Lies, or the law firm, go to www.livinglies.wordpress.com or call 520-405-1688. The opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the host and should not be attributed to any other person or entity.